Amazon's the most interesting company of the digital era that's entirely because of how they do it. And that's what I try to insert into my client work. I just started running, then it became 6 a.m. runs. Then I found out I needed some better nutrition. There's a lot of really brilliant introverts out there that were getting left behind because they didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. That's what we're in the business for. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. You just heard some snippets from our show. It was a great one. So stay tuned for the rest. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not an attorney, but I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the road to entrepreneurship, where we talk with innovators, small businesses, and discuss the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We have as our very special guest, John Rossman, who actually worked at Amazon and now is the founder of Rossman Partners. So he has a lot of very interesting information about Amazon and also how to maximize your company's digital prospects. And after that, we have two presenters with great things. So for all of you people that want to get up and exercise out there or need to after being stuck at home in COVID wearing your sweats, um, <laughs> we have Hami Mahani with 6am right? I love that name. I think it's amazing. I know it's very cool. And then for all of you people who found out that networking virtually is really kind of the way to go, uh, we have Colleen Valadez with Preferred Networking Solutions, but she has a twist to hers that makes it very popular with people. So can hardly wait to hear this. But before we get to our distinguished guests, we're going to be doing IP in the news. What IP is in the news today? Well, this is a trademark issue. Would you rather have a taco from Taco John's or Taco John's? Taco Chan's. <laughs> Who is Taco Chan's? So Taco Chan's is this nationwide taco chain. I don't think it's in every state, but it's in a lot of states. So it has a federal trademark on 220 stores across the country. Right. So federal trademark on Taco John's. So in Minnesota, somebody opened a restaurant, Taco Chan, C-H-O-N. At first I was kind of like, well, what is this about? So I looked up the word Chan, just to see if it's like a real word. And it's not. There's a band called Chan that plays sort of this actually really cool progressive music. It's sort of in between jazz and rock. If you've ever heard the band, yes, I hate to date myself, but they sound <laughs> sort of like that. And then the other term for Chan stands for the acronym for the most prevalent molecules in the body. So C for carbon, H for hydrogen, O for oxygen, and N for nitrogen. And so sometimes scientists use that term for that. But other than that, there's no real word for Chan. Um, Except it rhymes with John. <laughs> right. So I think something's going on here. The standard for trademark infringement, by the way, is similarity in sight, sound, and meaning. And while it does seem like he's trying to capitalize on Taco John, the actual trademark tests may be more favorable to him than you think, because the word Chan and John look different. They sound similar, but they also have different meanings. John is a person and Chan is who knows. So it'll be interesting to see how this one works out in court. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to our distinguished guest, John. What is your opinion of this? Do you have any comments? It sounds to me like they may have a case because it does sound similar and sound confusing. I have no idea kind of what the 
the litmus test relative to something like that. But the fact that I needed to hear it a couple of times to just understand the subtle differences between the two names tells me that there may be an issue here. Yeah. And certainly I'm sure since your first name is John, you wouldn't want to be called John, right? Honestly, I would take it. I've been called a lot. (laughs) As long as it's not said in anger, I'll take it. Uh, Kenya, what are your thoughts about this? Oh, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it sounds so complicated, right? You think it would be such a simple thing, but I guess my question for you, Richard, is I know when it comes to the name and the spelling of something, it's probably easier to demonstrate whether someone was the first one to create it or not. But is there a way to distinguish audibly who has creative ownership versus another person? Because it sounds like a gray area. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Kenya. It really is a gray area. You know, it's for the same goods and services, basically. It's for Mexican food. The restaurants are within a mile of each other. You know, unless he has a good explanation for picking the word Chan, it sounds to me like it's maybe trying to capitalize on Taco John's advertising. And the audible part is definitely part of the test. He swears that he's going to fight this in court and represent himself. So wow. you can kind of see where this oh, he's is going. Represent himself. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, we'll it's like, that. good luck. <laughs> Hami Mahani. I can't help but think coming to America, McDonald's versus McDowell's. Oh. If anyone remembers that, probably one of the funniest parts of that movie with Eddie Murphy, one of his first great movies. I think just again, as a business owner and more of a newer entrepreneur, I think you try so hard when you're creating something. I can definitely see where Taco John's is coming from. Taco John's is definitely, it just seems like he did this for the attention and he got what he wanted. So I just feel like this is the sad part is, is that when you then go into legal and, and law and, you know, then just the lawyers kind of become the winners, right? Both parties <laughs> <laughs> end up really losing a lot of money, maybe customers. But as a business owner, you do try so hard. You build something and you put blood, sweat, and tears in it. I know we bought 5amrun.com and 4a, like we bought all these things. We bought 6am lift, 6am ride. You know, we do so much to protect ourselves from this type of thing. Knock on wood, we're lucky it hasn't happened to us. But in a weird way, it also breaks my heart to see that this is going on because entrepreneurs try so hard to protect themselves from this. And I think that Taco Chons is just trying to get exposure and capitalize and make a story out of this and make a quick buck. And that's really a shame. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Your comments are really well taken. Colleen? I find this fascinating. So when you said similarities, sight, sound, and meaning. I thought, wow, those are four really important components and they definitely have similarity, sight, sound, but the meaning is totally different. So he could get away with this on a technicality, right? And why they didn't call it Chon Tacos instead of Taco Chon, knowing that it was really similar and they're one mile down the road is going to probably be the big question. You know, like, what was your intention with that? So it's going to be the WWE of Taco. (laughs) (laughs) The lettuce will be flying. Yeah, I guess they'll resolve this by food fight or maybe a taste <laughs> test. I don't know. Who's, but, but can we also find out like someone in Minnesota who's tastes better is what I want to know. 
Yeah, ah, me there too. you go. Me too. But we all know who the winner is going to be, which is who's got the bigger legal budget. At the end of the day, that's going to be who can stay in the fight the longest. That's definitely a part of it. Yeah, I really feel like Taco John's deserves to protect their name on this one. Yeah, they could have chosen a different name. And the article says that Taco John's did approach him multiple times and really tried to work out something. When you're in a situation like this, you can sometimes add a third word, rearrange the words. There's other ways to avoid trademark infringement. It doesn't always end up in court. There's lots of ways to address this without getting into a big legal battle. And I guess the owner of Taco Chan's feels like he's got some rights and he's going to stand on that. You know, if he wants to waste a bunch of time and money fending off lawyers instead of running his business, I guess that's his decision. Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We have as our very special guest, John Rossman, founder of Rossman Partners and uh, knows a lot about Amazon and business in general. So welcome to the show, John. Tell us about yourself and your company. We're a strategy firm. We help our clients compete through strategy and through execution. I am a former Amazon leader. So I was at Amazon from early 2002 through late 2005. I launched and scaled the marketplace business and I'm an author. So I've written three books. And although the books sound like they're about Amazon, they're actually about what can we take from a company like Amazon to incorporate into our strategies, into our cultures, into our leadership approach. So the most recent book I wrote is called The Amazon Way, Amazon's 14 Leadership Principles. And it's kind of the story of my time at Amazon and what I took from Amazon. And you know, my general thesis is that Amazon's the most interesting company of the digital era, and it's partially because of what they do, but it's entirely because of how they do it. Amazon has changed 10,000 times since I've done it, but how they go about their work, how they hold each other accountable, how they think about customers, how they think about invention and scaling, those are exactly the same. And I got to be there when we were kind of forging and founding these principles. And that's what I try to insert into my client work. There's now 16 leadership principles at Amazon. The first is probably the most famous, but you can't have just that one. And that's about customer obsession. And it states leaders start with the customer and work backwards. They work vigorously to earn and keep customer trust. And while they pay attention to competitors, they obsess about customers. What I think is the most interesting word in there is the word obsession, right? We could have chosen a more comfortable word, an easier word, like we're customer focused or we care about our customers, something like that. But we picked a really pungent word, a word you know it when you're around it. And what it means is you are willing to invent on behalf of your customers and you're willing to do really hard things that don't happen typically today in order to improve the customer experience. And that ability to help leaders understand you can't play in just the status quo. You have to be thinking about the future and doing that through the lens of your customer. And whether that's how do we serve the customer broader and deeper today or reduce the friction of whatever that customer experience is, that's where most innovation and most growth comes from. The other one I'll mention is the 14th leadership principle. It's called deliver results. And leaders at Amazon are expected to deliver hard results despite setbacks and despite dependencies. That word dependencies is a really interesting word. We all work in worlds where we're dependent upon others for results, both internally and externally. 
At Amazon, that's never an excuse. So what you see leaders at Amazon doing is a particular set of habits and techniques and rigor around how do we clearly define how things are going to work with our dependencies and then work to stay on top of it and make sure that there's no surprises. And so there's lots of great frameworks there, OKRs, things like that. But we took more time in defining the inputs. Most companies focus on the outputs of what they want to accomplish. They don't focus enough on the inputs. And so how do you actually focus on inputs is a couple of things. So this is what I get to speak to a lot. I do a lot of keynote speaking. And so those are kind of the bookends of the leadership principles. I have a couple of questions for you. First of all, I lived in Seattle when Bezos started Amazon and it was just a little online bookstore. So was the vision there from the very beginning or did it grow? I think it's a mixed answer to that. The vision was always to go beyond books. That is super clear. The vision never included services. The vision never included things like Prime. And so the vision definitely developed. But from the get-go, Bezos said, A, we're going to be the most customer-centric company in the world ever. And B, we are going to be bigger than books. When I was at Amazon, 90% of the business was books, music, video. The first quarter I was there, so holiday 2002, we did a billion dollars in revenue. Today, Amazon's a roughly $480 billion revenue organization, right? But again, like how we went about our work is almost exactly the same. I'm always testing how things happen at Amazon today with people that are there have just left and everything. And I think that's the real secret. Even though the company is huge, they keep things manageable. They allow people to be accountable and to make a difference by breaking down the business into smaller pieces and syncing it together through leadership principles versus through bureaucracy, through governance, through control. And so if you can figure out how do we gain alignment in how we think about things, then you can let others pursue your mission without as much governance and slowing it down. So speed in an organization like that is absolutely essential. And that's what most big companies lose is they lose speed. They lose accountability. That's why they get disrupted. Wow. wow. We have to take a quick commercial break. So we'll be back with John Rossman and Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt and Ken Gibson on Passage to Profit. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gerhardt Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearHeartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law. www.gearheartlaw.com. Law.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Pass. 
message to profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest, John Rossman, who has been at Amazon and knows a thing or two about digital marketing, digital business and strategy. Kenya. Yeah. So John, I just coming from the leadership end of things, what was it like to work with Jeff Bezos? And what would you say is one of the most important things or the most important thing that you've learned? Working with Jeff was great. He was demanding, which I think is completely appropriate. And I think the essence of his expectations was he always expected you to understand your business better than he would be able to figure out. And and he would get frustrated if, especially with the senior leadership level, if like he figured something out that you should have understood. He really operated though as a product manager or as an engineer. He didn't want to be just read to or told what was happening. He wanted to help figure out like, well, how are we doing something or why are we doing something? I remember one story, talk about a a failure business. Amazon launched a Netflix competing business. It was a, you know, when when mailers and DVDs were still mailed around and the team that was building that, they had to build a subscription service in order to do that. And Bezos was always quizzing them like, well, what's the data model? Like how how is that subscription service going to work? because he was thinking about a future subscription business. And because they built that subscription business in a more generic or fungible manner, that service became the backbone for what became the Amazon Prime and all of their other subscription businesses. And so that's the essence of, instead of just like this kind of command and control mindset, you have to be a builder, right? And so one of the, the, the little spiritual things from Amazon is like, we build a culture of builders. A builder is somebody who can articulate what is needed and in some way contribute to that design or the building of it. And what I see in too many companies is senior leaders have essentially become bureaucrats, right? Like they're good at HR, they're good at budgeting, they're good at managing risk, but what they're not good at is clearly defining what is it that we should build and And so I help add to, hey, how are we actually going to build something new, test, do it in an agile manner? So you were obviously a big part of the strategy and building of Amazon in the early days when people didn't really even know what it was yet. For entrepreneurs building something early, what are some of the most important things? Like if I I just had money to hire one person, say, to help me with something, what would you advise them to do first steps? That's very circumstantial to say, well, what is exactly the first step uh, relative to that? But one that is oftentimes a place where people aren't focusing enough is really defining what is the broad customer experience and how am I going to measure as many atomic little aspects of that complete customer experience as possible. And it's not just the customer experience for your product and service, but try to understand the customer experience upstream and downstream from your product or service. And and so what I oftentimes find is that smaller companies really aren't figuring out how do we measure and then attain such a trusted and fantastic customer experience through data and through customer obsessions. So that's one. And then I think the other is just this vigorous habit of defining what the future is. Amazon does that through writing techniques, right? And so the way to have vigorous debate and to think through things is by writing them out. It seems like it's slow, but it's actually the cheapest and fastest way to do experiments, right? And as a small company, what you need to do is do experiments. And the more you can write them out and debate them as a team and then say, hey, here's you know five potential things. We think this one is the winner. And if you can do that well, you will 
win because you're better at picking and doing those things as cheaply and early as possible. So those are two of the habits from Amazon that I oftentimes find in smaller companies that are a little sloppy around. Right. I can plead guilty to that because when we started Gearheart Law, I just kind of took anybody that came in the door. I needed to make money. I was a pike lawyer. Anybody who comes down the pike, I'll help, at least in the intellectual property field. I didn't go outside of that. But my only goal was to find clients, have them join the firm, and then provide the best services that I could for them. And so, you know, thinking about strategy and all of those things were good and important. And I tried to spend some time doing that. But, you know, when I was starting out, it was just really, you know, making sure the mortgage got paid. <laughs> If you're a smaller entrepreneur, how do you kind of fit that in with a mix of all the other things that you have to do? There's no easy answer. I think having a distinct point of view is always important. Like, how are we going to be different? Sometimes you're able to really early on distinguish and create that point of view. Sometimes you have to earn your way and build your way to that a little bit. But Amazon always had a point of view about customer trust and off of that customer trust and customer centricity, we invented so many things. And so I think really having a point of view around knowing who your customer is and how you're going to be different. And that's the essence of competition is how do we compete? Because if you don't have a clear point of view on how you're going to compete, guess how you're going to compete? It's going to be on price, right? If you think about the digital era, probably started when Netscape went public in 1995 to today. Essentially, what has happened is we've reinvented not just with digital technologies, but with a whole mindset of like, how do we integrate a customer experience where it's non-integrated today? And how do we think differently about traditions and policies and gatekeepers in order to break down, create smoother, better, more effortless customer experiences. And that's the essence of competing in the digital era, which is how do we think more about the customer and the longitudinal customer experience? Where's their friction? Where's their disconnection in that customer experience? How do we connect it where it's not connected today? Oftentimes that requires digital technology, but oftentimes it's a new business model. It takes pursuing things through a different legal lens. It takes reviewing policies. Just for example, like one of the businesses that Amazon has completely changed is the publishing business, right? So I've written three books. Last one's the Amazon way. I did those on the Kindle Direct Publishing platform. Publishers are traditional gatekeepers, right? They say yes, they say no, they're the tastemaker, and they take 80 to 90% of the profits in the industry. Amazon completely democratized publishing as it's completely changed it. And that's primarily because of the business model and the distribution model, not because of the technology. And one of the things that I like about this discussion is that Amazon, as impressive of a company as they are, they didn't always get it right the first time. They actually had a lot of failures and it took multiple attempts to crack those nuts. That's really the story that I tell in the book, The Amazon Way. You know, I was at Amazon from early 2002 to late 2005. What most people remember is really the past 11, 12 years where Amazon stock has done nothing but kind of up and to the right 
We had a nine-year period where the stock was essentially flat. Bezos and Amazon operated by the exact same playbook when things were flat and they were being doubted as they do today, right? I, I was there when Amazon was called Amazon.bomb, Amazon.com, <laughs> Amazon, Amazon.org, because we obviously didn't know how to make money, you know, and everything, right? <laughs> and you have to be really thoughtful about how you listen to naysayers because you probably really aren't changing traditions, you're not really reinventing a business model. If people aren't complaining about it, if they're not snarky about it, if you aren't getting bad press about your business model, you may not truly be inventing a new business model. John Rossman, how can people find you and get your books and learn about what you do? Yeah. So the books are at Amazon, Kindle, paperback, and Audible. It's the Amazon way by John Rossman. You can find me on LinkedIn, John Rossman, or my website is rossmanpartners.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out. Great. Well, we'll be back with more Passage to Profit right after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world. QVC, HSN, eVine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Time now for the epimonious power move. So Kenya? So for power move, I'm actually going to take it back to our last episode a little bit. We had Jody Krangle who was on, who was talking to us about audio branding. And we were talking about the whole McDonald's jingle and where it came from. And I went back and I did a little research and found out, according to Fortune magazine, the McDonald's jingle actually didn't come from the da-da-da-da-da Justin Timberlake song. It came from a hip hop artist by the name of Pusha T. And he wrote this jingle for them about back in 2003. It says he said he was paid peanuts for it because he didn't know his rights. He never, you know, got a trademark or he never went into those type of talks with them. And it's been their longest running marketing campaign to date. But the power move here is that he actually was able to co-create with Arby's to do the same thing. So now he's going against McDonald's and he's <laughs> been writing jingles for Arby's uh, and going against the fish filet. So I thought that was a tremendous power move. Good for him. I hope he has a lawyer this time. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the franchising show, but my dad used to work for Ray Kroc at a different company, not at McDonald's. And when Ray went out to start McDonald's, he asked my dad if he wanted to do business with him. And my dad said, no. So he winces every time he sees or saw a McDonald's commercial. So I guess he and the power move guy are both kind of in the, in the same, same boat. boat. But if you've got that creativity, use it, right? Absolutely. And, and protect it. So what's up with Fireside? Fireside is a video directory of small businesses. And I worked a lot on getting interviews with small business owners during the pandemic now I'm working on the back end of the website, which has proven to be a challenge because it's a directory and almost every website designer, God bless them, because they're right. They say, you've got to start with the branding. 
And it's like, no, not for this. And then you want people to stay on your site, not for this. So it's really hard finding a website person who understands the goals of this project. So you're going against conventional wisdom. I'm trying to do something new, but I was with my peer advisory board yesterday and I was talking about a couple of the things like how do I rank people's websites or people's companies on the website? They came up with some super good ideas for me and also good ideas about who could help me do the interviews because the technology to do them the way I would like to scale is not there yet. So, well, it's just something Something I guess you'll have to create. You'll have to get a Bezos mindset and put it out there. <laughs> I need a good programmer who's not afraid. <laughs> okay. This is near and dear to Richard's heart because Hami Mahani's company is 6 a.m. run and Richard is up working out at 6 a.m. almost every morning. So please tell us what you have, Hami. We're dying to hear this. I'm Hami Mahani, CEO founder of a company called 6amrun.com. I'm, as I said, 42 years old. I graduated University of Delaware. Uh, we're here in, based out of here in Wilmington, Delaware in 2002 with a marketing degree in 02. I was on the five-year plan, did enjoy college for sure. And then the Google and the internet boom hit, you guys all remember in 2002. My marketing degree, and I don't want to get into that rant, was basically useless. I was taught TV, newspapers, telemarketing, and every job I was getting, these companies wanted to do Google ads and Facebook wasn't even around yet, but it all marketing really was shifting to the internet. So everything I learned in college was just useless. So fast forward, really built my career in marketing and sales for about 20 some years, you kind of hit that trajectory where you skip out on fitness, you start your family, met my lovely wife, started our family, but I still wanted to have fitness involved. And at about 35, I couldn't play basketball, soccer, sports that I was always playing. So I just started running and running became one mile, became two, became three. Basically what had happened was my wife said, listen, you want to run six miles and run an hour every single day. This isn't happening at 6 PM at night when it's family dinner time, you need to do this in the morning before everyone's up and Adam and we can't afford to have you right now missing dinner. Then it was, it became 6am runs. What I found out was having that accomplishment over my peers. I was getting better tasks. I was getting better promotions. People looked at me as more dependable. I was at work earlier. There was just this mindset that came over me. And you know, it's funny, Bezos, Tim Cook, Every book you read about these people, especially the ones on the West Coast, they're up at four or five in the morning. And you also look at every CEO that's out there. I always joke, but it's also kind of true. None of them are out of shape, overweight, and they spend four or $5 million just on security so they can be as healthy and present as possible. So there was this whole 6 a.m. thing that I was going through. Also, then I found out I needed some better nutrition to be able to get up, to function, to get through my day. You know, you go to GNC and there was no real nutrition for runners. So I got with the formulator and, you know, 6 a.m. run became the name out of what the mantra is, but also the nutrition that I feel like people that are putting these long days in, even though I get up at 6am, I got to say, I still only get maybe sometimes six to four hours of sleep. It's not great, but I need to make sure at least my nutrition is better. And that's how 6am run was born. I found a niche in runners that were not marketed to. It's funny. I went to GNC to get nutrition. They didn't have anything for what I needed. Fast forward now, three years later, and our products are now, we just signed our deal with GNC about two months ago, and they released us online March 1st. Congratulations yeah. to you. Actually, Thank I'm you. not a 6 a.m. runner. I get up at 5 a.m. 
And uh-huh. it takes me an hour to convince myself to go out for that 6 a.m. run. So he has a workout coach, of course, a trainer who comes to the house and he has him on an eating plan that is mostly animal protein and green vegetables, uh, no dairy, no wheat. And Richard you're, has lost you're weight revealing on that, but, a lot of personal well, information. No, so right let me now. finish this question. But now he's going to do a triathlon in a couple of days. Right. And that's going to be like an hour and a half. How long is that going to be? I hope it, I would kiss the sky if it was an hour so, and a half, but it's probably going to be more so, hour 45 minutes. So yeah. what does he eat for that? I always heard you had to carve up if you're going to go on a long so, exercise. So not work. necessarily. So, and that's the thing, right? At 35 plus what I realized and what our products contain, um, and this was this, you're going to see this word a lot more in the fitness industry, amino acids. And that's where Richard, myself, and once you hit 35 plus your body just naturally doesn't produce the amino acids it used to. And that's for recovery. So I run seven days a week. I don't run seven days a week for, to maintain a weight for me, my running for about a 30 minutes to an hour every day is more meditation, but also your body just is not built to run seven days a week. So the amino acids that you lose. So more than carbs, more than energy, what I would recommend to Richard, and I can send you guys some stuff this week, if you like selfish, sure. club, of course, but oh. is it going to be the amino acids, uh, some green tea, some natural green tea for some energy, of course, some carbs, uh, maybe take like a banana, take like a chewy bar, something for some carbohydrates. And then of course, hydration. What we did is we combined green tea, caffeine, hydration, and 5,000 milligrams of 12 unique amino acids. I was having a discussion with my trainer yesterday morning. He was saying, well, as you get older, your body loses hydration. And then he says, your brain starts shrinking because of that. <laughs> Which kind of like flipped me out, you know, I'm 62 years old and I'm not ready to have a shrinking brain just yet. Well, let's let's go to somebody (laughs) else who loves to work out. Kenya. Well, I wouldn't say I love to work out. It's weird because I think because people think you're in fitness that that's like your favorite thing to do. I honestly, a lot of the people who I work with, my clients keep me accountable and I got into running few years ago, I've run three marathons, wasn't a runner, just in my head, always wanted to accomplish it. So I guess for someone who kind of goes in and out of running, but I cycle a lot and I also Mm -hmm. teach a lot of cardio classes. What do you recommend for someone who kind of fluctuates in their exercise patterns in terms of like what they do versus what they're not doing? No. And and again, it's, I hate to sound repetitive, but it's, it's amino acids. It's, Mm -hmm. it's natural energy in the green tea. You don't want like the red bulls and the mountain dews and things like that. You know, and the sugars and stay away from sugars, of course, because, you know, your body doesn't really, you know, break that up. And that's the funny thing. We talked about trademark, you know, we get weightlifters, we get so many people that like us because it's way more clean. The first pre-workout I ever bought had me bloated, gassy, just didn't sit with me. And I also do, it's a, a fasted, uh, workout every morning. I don't like breakfast in my stomach when I work out. I just like to get up and go be as light as kind of possible. Hmm. So no, Kenya, whatever, you know, kind of workout you do, I think a little bit of energy with, like I said, some green tea, caffeine, regardless if it's running, whatever I do a fast and even lunch. Like when I was in corporate America, it always boggled me that these people went out for like big 12 o'clock lunches, because then I felt useless, you know, the rest of the afternoon. So again, diet and knowing proportioning what you eat is for sure important, but definitely whatever workout you do, the nutrition aspect is always the biggest crucial yeah. key. Is this pre-workout stuff or is that? We, we Now we do it all. When we first started, our first product was our marathon product, which was an all-in-one, but now we have whey protein. I'm drinking right now. We have a 
vitamin infused coffee, think of Centrum, your like your daily mega vitamins as more and more, you know, you talk about, and we'll talk, I know in the end, we'll have a group session as you talk about more customer service, the customers will tell you what they want, what they need to. And we're only three years old too, which is really cool, but also scary. But at the same time, it's listening to what the customers also need and what they want. I think every six months we have a brand new formula and something new that customers are demanding from us because our other formulas are so good and perform so well. And that was the one thing we wanted to make sure we do before we release anything is that everything works. That's great. I got a couple of questions for you. One, how really are you selling your product? Where is it? We want to keep D2C as our best. Our core values. One of the things I learned, um, I, if, if you guys are familiar, I started in the banking industry here in Delaware. It was formerly MBNA when they first started and then became Bank of America. One of the best things I learned was customer service and community. Runners push each other. I just did the New York City Marathon. People I didn't know who are our customers were on our Facebook group wishing me well. It was crazy. So because of community, that is our number one core value is to build our community, not even our products. Community and then health and wellness is our two main core values, not selling product and things like that. One of the reasons I met you guys, we started our podcast to create content. We are on Amazon. Amazon is probably anywhere between 25 to 40% of our sales on any given month. Just how are you breaking through the clutter of everything that's out there on the market? Because I feel like I've tried a billion different products, pre-workouts. They kind of have felt all the same, but I'm just curious, you sound so different in your model, like what you're doing to break through the clutter. So again, it's, it, it community helps and everyone shares us. We do a thing called 125% money back guarantee. So basically what we found is what, nobody really hates our products. People just sometimes, because customer service online is very tough to do. It's not like a retail store where people walk in, right? And I can ask them questions. What do you need? Even though we have like a quiz and a chat, it's very tough. So what we do is 125% money back guarantee. People might buy the wrong formula. And especially because of the pandemic, you can't return an open bottle of an edible substance, right? So we tell them, look, keep that formula that was wrong. Give it to a fellow runner. Give it to a friend. We'll send you the right thing for free. Trust me, it's, especially being a new company, it sucks eating that cost. I hate that. But now we have an 84% return user rate and retention rate. So the way we've broken through is, again, as crazy as this sounds, is through that customer service and the influencers. Let me tell you this right now. Our biggest influencers have maybe five, 10,000 followers. As crazy as that sounds, people don't want the Kim Kardashians and The Rock. They don't want those stars. They love to see the real people say, oh my God, this is what I take. And so what we've done is we find the people that are really trustable. They have that kind of 10 to 20,000 followers on Instagram and Twitter and social, and we go to them and we say, listen, let us send you some product. We love your following. You see their engagement. They might have 10,000 followers, but every post will have like 5,000 likes. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And those are the people we target to be our promoters and we give them free products. That's great. And marketing is always a challenge. I mean, there's 72 million runners in the country. And then there's 32, we call them weekend warriors, where they look for marathons. They look for races. You know, New York City Marathon that I just did had like, they always have about 50,000 registrants. We want to get into retail stores. There's a lot of running retail stores. Again, GNC put us online. Soon we hope to be in GNC stores. There's other stores we're obviously going after our greens. And we do make some all natural stuff. We'd love to be in a place like Whole Foods and Target. That's just hopefully going to come with natural growth 
growth. We got to stay the course. And again, it's just growing. I myself have a book coming out. The one thing I just want to say to people is that that 6am mindset, Newton's law, and I'll just kind of end on this, just moving keeps people moving. All I know it sounds corny, but it is. If people can just go walk, if people can just do some kind of health activity. And that's the other thing we want to do with our content. We really want to promote health. One of the things through the pandemic that helped us, we actually did grow double during the pandemic, because one of the things we said to people was, look, regardless of COVID, one thing you can focus on is your health, your diet, your nutrition. You know, we want people to just focus through us on health and wellness and taking our products for that. So that's just what we're going to continue to push and do. It's worked. We're not a unicorn and overnight success or anything, but continuing to find those people that are like-minded and, you know, just continue to keep growing. I agree with you. If you're not moving, you're dying. That's what I always <laughs> say to Richard. So people can find your products at 6amrun.com. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Great. So you are listening to Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And now we have our next presenter who has a totally different business, but one that is super important too. Her business is called Preferred Networking Solutions. Colleen Valadez helps you find the right networking for yourself. So welcome, Colleen. Tell us all about it. So Preferred Networking Solutions is a virtual platform that is used for us to bring together any kind of entrepreneur that wants to expand in any sort of way. So we're not just here to expand through the source of referrals, but you know, we found that through the virtual platform, we're bringing in a lot more introverts. So traditional networking was done through these charismatic kind of successful salespeople who know how to present themselves really well and know how to talk about their product or their services, whatever they are. But there's a lot of really brilliant introverts out there that were getting left behind, working behind the scenes and working for other people because they didn't know, you know, how to be an entrepreneur and work in the business and also on the back of the business while creating a culture out there with community, which is what we've been talking about. We're all part of the community. You know, we are the people in your neighborhood. So here we are teaching our entrepreneurs how to relinquish any sort of fear about having to talk in front of someone or project yourself and believe in yourself and just be able to promote yourself so that you can have someone go, oh my God, that person really left a thought for me as I'm walking out of this meeting. I know some people I'd like to introduce them to. And as I'm sitting here in this meeting, listening to everybody talk today, I'm going, oh my God, I know somebody I can introduce, you know, 6 a.m. Too. I know a lot of people that would like to learn about that. So right. that's what we're in the business for is to introduce you to someone else and bring a new experience into your life. You know, we're all on this road together. It's a journey. We're all in it together. Our community is together. And if we can do it in a faster and easier way, why the hell not? That's just what we're doing. Our sessions are only an hour long. We ask everybody to come in and follow the prompts of what we've given them before they come to the meeting. So they're structured. We say, please tell us who you are, how you serve, you know, what you do, how you service your clients. And then weekly, we change up that promotional prompt. So in the old days, it was tell us who you are, how do you service your clients, what kind of a referral do you need? And it was like that, you know, every week you would hear this every week. And I used to sit in the back of my head thinking, that's not really how we're going to get to know that person. The purpose is to get to know them and like them and trust them and 
you know, that person is saying stuff where you want to get them to know somebody else. So we asked different questions, and especially during the pandemic, everybody needed to laugh a little bit more. So we started developing questions like, what are you binge watching this week? Tell us who you are, tell us what you do, and tell us what you're binge watching this week. And every single time somebody would say something really funny, you know, where the group just, you know, oh, I love that show, you know, this, that, and the other. And it just makes everybody relaxed, engaged, and more comfortable. You just feel more protected that way. So that's kind of what we open up with. And then we talk about, you know, what's going on in the community. What do you guys know about what's going on in the community? What kind of stuff are you involved with this week? What kind of fundraising things are out there? Again, in the old days, you weren't really allowed to talk about organizations that you were fundraising with. We're like, no, we want to know that. We want to know who you're fundraising with. We might want to help you raise some money. So tell us who you're fundraising with. Tell us what else you're partnering on. And nowadays, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people where they have way more than one career. Well, my main career is this. And then when I'm not doing that, this is the other thing I'm doing. So we go through that. And then we have the structure, obviously. You know, you get to play show and tell. Different people get to play show and tell. Now, they're going to have to do it with a PowerPoint presentation or like how we are right now, just sitting here looking at each other on screen. And all this time that we've been doing these virtual platforms, we are having to have keen senses here because in the old days, we used to be able to sit there and watch you stand up and project. We had you, your whole body in front of us, whereas now I'm having to look at everybody here on screen and understand you and read you and hear you a little differently because it's coming, you know, through this platform. Well, Colleen, one of the beauties of virtual is that it doesn't matter where you are. So are you countrywide, worldwide? How far is your reach? You know, we started this during the pandemic and we grew uh, 10 chapters throughout Los Angeles. And when we first started, we had the name Beach District entrepreneurial group, but we found out we had to change that because we were expanding. We now have a full-blown chapter in Las Vegas. Boy, are they big. Everybody in Las Vegas does everything big, right? <laughs> They're big entrepreneurs doing big things, raising lots of money. And our Los Angeles team is talking to them all the time. They're flying here. We're flying over there. So right now we are centrally located in the Los Angeles area. However, we had an inquiry just one month ago to open up a chapter in Manhattan, New York. So we will be opening that up in the New Jersey, Manhattan area, as well as Phoenix, Arizona, Boise, Idaho, and then we're going to be moving into Colorado. So we are definitely going across the U.S. We also have partnered with Another company that started a strategizing session on a virtual platform, Adapt and Thrive with Brian Fife, and he's teaching people how to strategize on your business and how we're going to grow together. So we're just moving all around the place. And people are moving in and out of so many different yeah. states that we said, let's create this like a transitional team. You know, Excellent. if you're moving Excellent. from L.A. to New York. You got a team out there to talk to you, to receive you in. So we're really having fun with this. That's great. So John, did you have a comment or question? Well, yeah, it's interesting to note that it's a virtual platform, but you're kind of organized by local chapters. Yeah, so we have neighboring cities. You know, Los Angeles, as you know, is really big. So we have neighboring cities where people have their little to-dos. So if they spend weekly meetings together for one hour, if they all live close enough or the majority of them lives close enough, about once a month, we have multi-chapter mixers 
where we all come together. And that's something, again, a little bit out of the box. That was not something that entrepreneurs used to do when they had exclusivity rights, you know, in a chapter. Why would I want to go to a mixer that has a competitor of mine in it? So that's something else that we're teaching is, quite frankly, there's room for all. So what started happening is now we've got entrepreneurs, two cities right by each other, and you meet at a multi-chapter mixer in person, and you like that person, you can do business with them in the other chapter and do introductions in the other chapter. And frankly, it's about the community and the customers and the clients. It's not so much about us coming together. It isn't a given that you're going to get business just because you're in that chapter, but you might meet somebody in another chapter where you go, wow. I really bonded with that person and connected with them. We got some good ideas together and we're going to do some work together. So we monitor that too. And it just gives you a bigger opportunity for expansion. Well, that sounds really powerful. Colleen Valadez, where can people find this? Preferred-networking.com. You can find us there preferred-networking.com. Excellent. Thank you. Listeners, you are listening to Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, John Rossman. We will be right back for more discussion after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. We'd like to hear from our guests if they have any final thoughts. John? Well, I think just the power of hearing different ideas, different people, how they're struggling with gaining customers, being heard in a busy marketplace, creating differentiated product, defining a category for themselves. Like that's what every entrepreneur struggles with and having a group where you can collaborate on those things and share ideas and get honest, discerning feedback, you know, good job doesn't help much, right? Like you actually need people to pressure test your ideas and give you constructive feedback. It really is about how do you reach customers with your differentiated point of view and with your brand. And so that goes for whether it's selling books or selling management consulting. Hammy, do you have any thoughts on what John just said? At the end of the day, in my opinion, that's the nail on the head. It's marketing and it's reaching your target. As crazy as it sounds, you know, our bounce rate on our website, for example, is 80%. And that's an industry average. So that means 80% of the clicks we pay for just leave without even reading the site. That's why this type of stuff is so important. Colleen? Well, I think this has been a very powerful session here, just listening to all this. And I think people need to know that their issues are the same as the rest of our issues, you know, (laughs) but a leader is going to try and take risks. You're going to take risks because 
How are you going to get the right answer unless you try it out? Before we go, and the only thing I wanted to add in the group discussion is the customer loyalty is the most important. And, and let me explain this to you. I used this example with a buddy of mine in a conversation the other night. If we're at a mall and let's say it's a five mile long mall, right? And you're at Gucci. And I say to you, this very similar shirt is at Target five miles down for a quarter of the price. You may say to me, I don't feel like walking five miles to get the shirt. I want to get it right now here at Gucci. We've become a world and the Amazon has proven this where people don't even want to leave a tab to go to another tab to shop. Think about that. <laughs> that's, that's why we go to Amazon. Because Talk about inertia, right? right? <laughs> so that's the number one thing I wanted to say to John's point is loyalty. And that's what we do. It's, we want to make sure people are loyal to us because if we don't have their customer loyalty, if they don't come back, you know, whether you can do simple things, keep credit card, we do subscriptions. So that way things are on file, things are on easy. Amazon, even me, I know I can get a bag of chips on Amazon that maybe my grocery store doesn't have. I probably could find that bag of chips less somewhere else. Even me, I'm victim of it, but I'll go to Amazon because I know they have it. I'm a prime member. They have my information on file and it's at my house in less than a day. Like, think about that. Yeah, but when that urge for potato chips strikes, I don't know if I can wait a day, but I get your point. Kenya, what are your thoughts? I think it really helps tap into that real entrepreneurial mindset and like what it takes to get that all worked out in terms of how wellness plays into that with like the 6 a.m. run and, you know, how strategic planning plays into that with, with the things that John was talking about and, you know, how self-empowerment through networking, right? With Colleen was talking about really all kind of plays into developing the right mindset for success. So I just love that all this came together and it made total sense for everyone who's on that road to entrepreneurship. Kenya is our media maven and she's one of the most brilliant creatives I know. So Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I would like to go through everybody's websites again, in case anybody missed them. We have John Rossman, founder of Rossman Partners. He worked at Amazon for a number of years during a strategic growth phase and he really is a strategy expert and an expert in the digital space. John Rossman, get to him through the amazonway.com, the-amazon-way.com, or you can find him on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think Amazon owes him a lot. Oh, so. yeah. And you can buy his books and you can become his client too. <laughs> I love his strategic thinking. I'm going to yeah. buy all of his books and I'm going to read them. And then we had um, Hami Mahani with 6 a.m. run. So for all you fitness people out there, he's got nutritional products that help you perform and help you recover. And that's really important for people who like to work out. Yeah. The downside of the 6am run is that I usually go to bed at like 8pm. So, so there's, a, there's a, so, there's a backside to that. So, so yes, yeah, so get just, up early. Just go to 6amrun.com and you can find his products. And then Colleen Valadez with Preferred Networking Solutions and her website is preferred-networking.com. And I think that she has taken virtual networking to a whole different level than what we saw earlier. Yeah. I think it's really great. Some of the tools that she uses to break the ice and get people interacting. I think that's so important for networking. So we will be back on this station next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. And if you have trouble remembering the name of our show, just imagine walking down a long passage with a pot of gold at the end. Passage to Profit. <laughs> um, before we go, I'd also like to thank the Passage to Profit team, 
our producer, Noah Fleischman, Alicia Morrissey, our program director, and Mark Wilson, our syndication manager. Our podcast of this show can be found tomorrow, wherever you find your podcasts, and look for the Passage to Profit show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, while the information you heard during this program is believed to be correct, never take legal steps without consulting an attorney. And remember, enjoy your journey and the road to entrepreneurship. And with that, I'm Richard Gerhart. I'm Elizabeth Gerhart. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Passage to Profit.